Well, it's Christmas, uh, officially Christmas. I want to just uh, celebrate something with you today that you may not immediately notice, and that is for years we have been struggling with an old light system above where we would change light bulbs and then within a week, four or five are out, and they just it, it was just a problem. Uh, about five or six years ago, we got an estimate to see how much it would cost to repair all of that. And we're talking three to $400,000, which I couldn't believe that, um, but it was true. Thankfully, over time, technology has improved, so we're getting this done for about $140,000. I want you to look at each one of these beautiful LED lights that cost about $1,000 per fixture. So anything times 84 is a lot of money, and, uh, but we're just celebrating the fact that, man, the Lord has provided, and we, we have got this done before the end of the year. I hope you'll in, enjoy. They're LED, cheaper to run, and they're supposed to last a lifetime. Does anybody believe that? You don't have to answer me. But uh, it is definitely a great thing. I thank you for your giving, your sacrificial giving for these projects that we never run out of. Well, you know, we're celebrating Christmas and I want to, want to begin by telling you a story about a, uh, a, an airplane on May the 1st, 2023, a Cessna single-engine propeller plane carrying um, a mother with her four children and a couple more passengers. We're flying over the Amazon rainforest when the pilot radioed that they had an engine failure and he declared an emergency and it wasn't long after that before this airplane fell out of any radar range. It took them two weeks. So this was May 1. On May 16, a search team finally found the plane that was in a patch of thick rainforest. And when they got there, they discovered the bodies of the adults. But they did not see the four children, age 13, 9, five and one. They were nowhere to be found. Sensing that they could still be alive, the Colombian army was dispatched and 150 soldiers with dogs went to the area to help look for children that may have survived the crash. Dozens of volunteers from the indigenous, indigenous tribes helped in the search. And during the search, uh, in the area that they were looking at, they, they noticed that there were signs that these children could still be alive. I mean, there, there were a pair of footprints about the size of a child. Um, there was a baby bottle. There, were, there was a diaper. There were pieces of fruit that looked like it had been bitten by humans and not other animals. And they searched and searched, but could not find these four children. Later, <clears throat> it was learned that the mother survived the crash and she lived for a few days and her last words to her children were, you guys get out of here. She told them to, to get away. And so these kids now were afraid of the people who were trying to rescue them. Um, the rescuers, however, were relentless. The president of Colombia aided in the search and boy, he marshaled all of the forces and troops that were necessary. Realizing that 
Maybe these kids were in fact afraid and avoiding the very people who were dispatched to rescue them, they decided to try something new. They got a voice recording of their grandmother who gave them instructions to stay where they were so they could be found. And sure enough, 40 days after the crash, they found these four siblings. Because they were indigenous people themselves, they had learned to survive in the jungle. They ate fruit and nuts and knew how to avoid the poisonous snakes and the many things that could kill a a group of four kids in the jungle. But by the time the 40 days came, they were starving to death, but they were rescued. You know, when it comes to celebrating Christmas, you know what Christmas is? It is the grandest rescue of all of human history. This is the story of God who looks down at the crash you and I have experienced, the catastrophes of our lives, the the impending death, And, and God, in his great love, had established a plan to rescue us. It was a complicated plan, written out over generations and years. It was precise to the point where as we look back now and look at the scriptures, we see that the prophets of old, many of them, different different prophets, gave different clues as to how this plan would come together. For instance, the prediction, behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. God would come as a baby. This baby would be of the lineage of King David. We later on discover that the baby would be born in Bethlehem. And then there are other things stated that don't seem to make sense, that God would call his son out of Egypt. How in the world does that fit into the plan? But if you know the Christmas story, you know his parents fled to Egypt And then finally, God told them to come back. It was said that he would be from Nazareth. And so many of the details of the birth and life of Jesus, the Messiah, were put in place. Now, there is this huge gap of 400 years between the last prophecy in Malachi and the beginning of the Gospels And the last word that the prophets declared regarding the coming of the Son of God are found in Malachi. 3 verse 1 says this, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger, so he's talking about a messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 4, verses 5 to 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. There is this gap, but the very last prophecy in that gap is that before the Messiah is to come, a great prophecy like Elijah will precede him and he will go and he will preach 
and he will make ready the hearts of the people to hear the Messiah when he arrives. That's where the Christmas story in the book of Luke begins. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was, the daughter, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So here's the story. It begins with this, this couple, priests. Even Elizabeth is from the, the priestly clan of Aaron. And they served God faithfully and, and they had for many, many years. And the one characteristic that comes out of the story is that, that she was barren and she did, they did not have a child. You know, to be barren in the first century, just as it is today, is one of the most difficult things. But in addition, she felt the shame, perhaps, because it was said that the blessing of God was not on her. And so here she had to deal with the personal grief. Then she had to deal with the, the kind of criticism that came to her, she and her husband, because she did not have a child. In fact, in some of the rabbinic traditions, it was allowed for a husband to leave the marriage if his wife could not bear a child and find another wife. But while th there must have been such great disappointment and difficulty, the great thing about Zacharias, he was a righteous and a blameless man. He refused to do anything but stand beside her, his, his wife, and love her with a tenderner, tenderness that was amazing. Confused and disappointed, but they still surrendered to the sovereignty of God. They wanted a child more than they wanted anything else, but they refused to let their desire for a child become an idol that would replace the God whom they had served. You know, that, 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 that is such a challenge for us. Actually, in the book of Job, the same challenge was there. Satan comes to God and says, you know, God, the reason Job follows you and serves you is because you protect him and bless him. You give him what he wants. Take away your protection and the blessings, and he will curse you because he really doesn't love you. He loves what you can give. Now, you say that's, that's a pretty strong statement. That's exactly the accusation that comes into the presence of God. And the truth about our lives is there are times when we do not get what we pray for. There are times in our lives when we experience trials and disappointments and struggles that we don't understand that confuse us and we ask the question, why does God let this happen? And, and we, I have seen, it's so sad, I've seen many people after going through a trial decide that they no longer want to follow God. They no longer want to worship God. Why? Because they wanted this and this has never come. This has never happened. And so they, they, they have this idea, they live with this idea, what's the use of worshiping God if he doesn't give me what I want? 
All of us have this temptation. You know, the reason to worship God is not to get what we want. It is to get more of the God we love, even if he doesn't give us what we want. This couple struggled. It's not like this couple had everything they wanted, and yet this couple remains blameless, disappointed, sad, confused, but they still worship God, and they serve God with an authentic and whole heart. Um, it is very important for us. You know, what, what do you want for Christmas? That's People are, my, my kids are asking me what I want for Christmas. I am such a blessed man, I have a hard time coming up with something to say. And they, but I told them, surprise me. Make me look cool. That's, my, that's what I want my kids to do. Because I don't know how to be cool anymore. But dealing with the disappointments of life are one of the most important things. And this couple deals with this so well and continue to pursue God. They are faithful in their service. They are blameless and they are righteous. Now, blameless and righteous doesn't mean perfect. It just means that they, they don't turn away from God. Nobody here is without sin. And the way to be blameless is, as Jesus taught us to pray, Father, forgive us of our sin. This is a daily prayer. God, I didn't get that right. <clears throat> God, I felt feelings toward that person that irritated me. And I'm just, I'm just ticked at them. I know I'm supposed to love them. I'm just mad at them right now. Anybody have prayers like that? Am I the only one who does that? So I need your help, God. Will you change my heart? Holy Spirit, will you move inside of me? I need, I need more of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I need that. Change my heart. You know, the beautiful thing about that is that <clears throat> when you ask God to change your heart, um, he frees you from the burdens that are bad choices to be angry and bitter and want to make people pay. I mean, th those are all heavinesses that will attach themselves to our souls. But when we, when we choose to, to ask for forgiveness and seek his help, he lifts those burdens. He helps us. This couple, they are blameless because in their disappointment, they still trust God. They still serve. They still worship. You know, I read a story that fits this kind of a situation, and I know this is a situation that every one of us are going to have to deal with, because you will be disappointed in life. 
you will have some things that you pray for that you don't get. There will be things happen that you don't understand. And at each juncture, you and I will have to decide, how is, what is our posture toward God? Are we still worshiping and pursuing him? Or are we just mad and want to walk away? Uh, John Ortberg wrote uh, of the book, Love Beyond Reason. And in this book, he tells an interesting story about a lady named Sandy. Sandy's life had been a pleasant path. She was raised in faith. Her grandfather was the pastor of the church where she grew up. She graduated from a Christian college, began to work as a pediatric nurse, and married a fine Christian young man. Four years later, two months pregnant with her first child, her husband told her he felt trapped and wasn't sure he was ready for parenthood. Two months later, she became quite ill, and while she was staying at her sister's, he left. Sandy didn't realize that there was even a greater trial ahead of her because she delivered a baby, and because of her husband's infidelity, a disease had been transmitted to the baby that compromised its health. Furthermore, this baby was born, and, and the, the, the baby, uh, he, in the deformity, um, she, could, she couldn't talk. The only thing she had was a brain stem, so she would not develop. The doctors told her, you know, your baby might live a day, might live a couple days or maybe a week. But amazingly, this little girl whose name was Rachel, she lived day after day, week after week, and she kept on living. And so now Sandy's whole life consisted in, in, in this way. She worked 12-hour shifts while her sister or friend watched her baby, and then she would go home and take care of her baby. She knew full well that she would not be like other mothers with children because Rachel would never ever experience the day where she goes off to school. There would be no report cards. There would be no homemade Valentines. There would be no baking cookies together. She would never take her to get her driver's license. She would not watch her walk down the aisle to get married. Sandy would never see her daughter take her first step. She would never feel the chubby little fingers of a little girl grasping her hand. She would never hear her daughter say, I love you, or even just to say the words, mommy. Sandy could never even tell if Rachel knew she was her mother. The only time Rachel seemed to respond to anything at all was at times during her baths, Sandy would wash and rub her back, and Rachel would sometimes make a low, cooing sound as if she was content. One day, while Sandy was on a brief vacation, the first time to ever be away from Rachel, her brother met her at the airport with the news that she had been dreading for a long time. Sandy was told that her daughter Rachel had died. Now, Rachel's father never came to the funeral, never asked about his daughter. There was never an I'm sorry from the father. I mean, she's, Sandy said it, it took her six years to be able to even read the journals that she had written during Rachel's brief life. There were no answers then, and there are no answers now. It was a dark road. And yet, 
ask Sandy if she would prefer that Rachel had never been born, and she would tell you that that was unthinkable. She speaks of experiencing a communion while holding that baby that was deeper than words can say. She speaks of learning what it means to love beyond limitations and imperfections, to see right down into the spirit and love that. She has no regrets about bringing Rachel home and lavishly loving, lav- lavishingly love her. She speaks of choosing forgiveness. She had to forgive her husband because she refused to live in the prison of resentment. She had to forgive herself for the bitterness uh, and the darkness and the limitations that the choices she had made brought to her. In a strange way, she had to do something like forgive God for not answering honest prayers, for not protecting Rachel. Somehow, there were many questions that did not get answered, and confusion was a part of her life. And yet, John Ortberg goes on to say, today we talk about this divine rescue. John Ortberg says, that God determined that in the human race that is full of catastrophes, that this kind of story does not get the last word. Christian hope is based on the proclamation that God chose to take our tragedy on himself. The most eloquent expression of this cry of Christmas is the cry that we hear from Jesus as he hangs on a cross And he says, Eli, Eli, lava sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But that's not the last word, because after he died on the third day, he rose again. And the last word is resurrection. Christian hope says that Sandy and her life with Rachel is not just an accident. It is not just a catastrophe that consigns Rachel to being a meaningless accident in the cosmic scheme of things. Christian hope, and that's why we celebrate this season, says that what happened to Sandy and Rachel is a part of a story, a tragic story, but not the whole story, because according to scripture, the day is gonna come when Sandy and Rachel will sit together at a table and know each other well and speak their hearts to each other, words of wonder and gratitude and love that could not be spoken while they were here. Because according to the rescue of God, tragedy does not get the last word. That's why Jesus came. And he came. It all begins... with this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. The second thing that happens, number, number two, an encounter with an angel. So it was while well, he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord and the whole multitude of the temple, um, the, 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 let me see, And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. 
So let's just take a look at this. Zechariah, he's an old priest now, no children. He's one of 18,000 priests. And the way they did that is these priests lived in their villages, but the two weeks out of the year, they would make their trip to Jerusalem and they would serve for an entire week. They would get there and the one who was ordering the priests around would give them each assignments to tell them what they were supposed to do during that week that they were there. There was one job that the boss, so to speak, didn't give out. It was given by God. They would cast lots to see who among the priests who were there that week would be the one who would go into the holy place inside of the temple and offer the incense, which represents the prayers of the people. Um, and the lot fell to Zacharias. He's an old man. It never had fallen to him before. And the fact is, if you ever had one chance, then you were disqualified. You, you could get one chance to enter into the temple, into the holy place, not the holy of holies, only the high priest went there, but the holy place. And it was such an honor to go and offer the incense which represented the prayers of the people. And on this occasion, Zacharias is chosen and he goes in to the holy place and he offers the incense. He's representing the prayers of the people. And as he's offering the incense, an angel appears. Now, no angel has appeared for 500 years since the book of Daniel. And the word of God comes to him. The word of God had not come for 400 years of silence. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayers, your prayer is heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, I'm sure Zacharias might have thought instinct immediately, wait a second, I actually haven't prayed that prayer to have a child in a long time, because we're past the time. And the angel, now, I just... What I love about that is all of us have outstanding prayers that have been offered that God has heard. He says, you know that prayer that you were offering day by day, week by week, year by year, decade by decade, that you would have a son? Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, your prayer was heard. <clears throat> and your wife is going to bear you a son, and you're going to call him John. He goes on, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall neither drink wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, which was unheard of. And he will, and he will turn away Turn, turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah says, wait a second here. I'm an old man with an old wife. And we haven't been praying this prayer for a long time, but we're going to have a son. And we're going to name him John. And he's going to be the prophet 
who will precede the coming of the Messiah. Can you imagine how exciting that must have been for him? So exciting. And then he asks one of the most ridiculous questions in the Bible. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. He hears, but he doesn't hear. He now convinces the angel why this can't be happening, and this can't be true. Oh, we can't be the people you're, you're looking for. We're too old. And Gabriel answers. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, who was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. The Eddie Lyons paraphrase of what the angel says is, you're looking for a sign? Dude, the angel of God is standing in front of you. One of the most difficult things you and I have to learn to do is to actually hear God. It is important for us to cultivate an ear to hear and a heart to believe. Um, Acts 17, here's a a story of Paul. There are idols of people worshiping, looking for a God they could worship everywhere. Paul comes to them and says, I want to talk to you about this one. You even have a shrine called the Shrine to the Unknown God. This is the God you don't know. He's who I want to talk to to you about today. He says, don't you know that just this, this desire to find God is God actually speaking to you. For it is in him that we live and move and have our being. God is speak. God speaks every day. The heavens declare the glory of God. Every time you and I look at the beauty of creation and we we study the amazing systems that God has created in nature, uh, in biology, and, and we wonder, wow, this is just fantastic. Have you ever seen the ultrasound of a baby in the womb? Amazing. What's going on there? God is speaking. God is getting our attention. Ecclesiastes says, that we have eternity in our hearts. That's why when we confront death or attend a funeral and we look at mortality and inside of us, we say, I just don't like this. I I, I think there's gotta be more than this. And constantly, God has implanted little things in our lives, hoping that we will seek him. And if we seek him, the Bible says, he will be found. But we must cultivate a heart to listen, and to believe. 
And <clears throat> those are the two things. As the story of rescue begins, know that where you're disappointed should not lead you away from God, but it should lead you to God. I mean, the prayer should be, God, I'm so disappointed. This is not the way I wanted my life to be. God, why haven't you given me what I've wanted for so long? And It's okay for us to tell God that. And I think God will say, trust my sovereignty. Trust me. Cry to me. Ask for my help. You'll get to know me even better than you think if you'll lean into the disappointment your soul is feeling. And then secondly, we need to learn how to listen to God. We need to trust him and follow him. Now the great story here is that Zacharias and Elizabeth in their old age had a baby. And he was the prophet who preceded the coming of Jesus. He was the one who preached and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's happening. God has come. The renewal of all things has begun.